Father, this morning, we just thank you, Father. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for life. Thank you for a new day. Thank you for your mercies. Thank you for your grace. But for your grace, Lord. Truly, Lord, none of us would be here but for your grace. By faith, according to your word, which is forever true, we come boldly, confidently to the throne room of grace. We receive the mercy that all of us need and the grace that we need for today. We make our confession today, Lord, that your grace is sufficient for us. You will take us in triumph in Christ Jesus at every place, every point of time today. Pray, we believe, when as we speak. We come at this time into thy hands, the ministry of the word. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So we are with the fourth church. We'll just finish verse 27 and 28. Yeah. So he's talking about, let's go to 25, 25 onwards. But hold fast what you have till I come to this church. There is a remnant in that also which have been messed up and they are, they got everything together and he tells them, but that's not enough. Till I come, hold on to it. He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. So there is 25 and 26 is kind of similar that we have to continue. One in our progress. And second, we have to continue till the moment of his coming, till the hour of his coming or our death, whichever. And then he comes to the reward points, which we saw last week. To him who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. Remember, it is not our works, but his works. To him, I will give power over the nations. That's the first one. We looked at that. Now we will look at uh, the second one. Okay, continuation, what was said in Psalm 2, that he is the one who will rule. He says that authority I will share with the overcomers. Verse 28, and I will give him the morning star. Okay, this is where uh, certain texts are confusing. If you look at verse 28, what is this morning star? We'll go to Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. Okay. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of morning. Okay. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. So here you will see that some translations actually translate here that word has morning star. So we hear Lucifer also is called the morning star, but not just Lucifer alone, actually angels are also generic name, one of the generic names. If you go to Job chapter 38, verse 67, 6 and 7, or what were its footings? Yeah. To what were its foundations fastened or who laid its cornerstone? God is speaking. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Okay, so he's talking about creation when he began all this, okay? One part of creation before the angels were created. You realize that they are also called morning stars and Satan is also called morning star. Okay, so that's his 
probably his original name is Lucifer, which means light bearer. Okay, and angels are also light bearers. They don't have light in themselves, but they bear the light which God has given them. That was supposed to be their duty to carry the light. So that 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 uh, job profile has now been given to the church. When Jesus is the original morning star, we'll come there. We'll see in uh, Revelation twenty two sixteen. If I'm right, twenty two sixteen. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Please remember. Both Jesus and Satan in scripture is described as morning star. And that's not the only allegory. We know Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. In Revelation 5, 5, he's called the Lion of Judah. While Peter calls Satan the Lion. Only difference is that Jesus is the Lion of Judah in terms of his royalty, his majesty. While Satan is the one who devours. So in their function itself, they are different. Satan kills, Jesus gives life. But when it comes to Satan, remember, he's a created being. It's very clear he's a created being. And every created being, its purpose, one of its functions is to reflect the glory of the creator. Every creator. Because we do not have a glory of ourselves. We do not have life of ourselves. We do not have virtue ourselves. We don't have anything of ourselves. So Paul will ask this rhetorical question, what is that you have that was not given? That was not given. The only one who exists by himself is God. Okay. He's the only self-sufficient. Everything is in him. He doesn't need anything. He's the only uncreated being. Okay. Everything else. So it was not man that was created first. It was the angels that were created first. And among the angels, as we study scripture, the prominent one seems to have been Lucifer, one of the most prominent ones. And he also was created to reflect God's glory. But what he did was he refused to do that. Okay? He wanted to exalt his throne above or equal to God. The created wanted to become or wanted the status with the creator. And that's how rebellion started. And then he's cast down. Okay? He's cast down. Now the light the devil has is deceiving. Okay? He transforms himself. Okay, as an angel of light, but his light is deceiving. And that's why the world is deceiving. The world is deceiving because the world has been built by Satan through man. So the entire world in which we live in is a deceiving world. That's why the Bible says don't buy into it. Don't come out of it. Don't buy into it. Do not love the world because it's deceiving. That will deceive you. Jesus, on the other hand, you will see if you read Colossians chapter 1, 16 and 17. Okay. For by him all things were created. So Jesus was not a created being. He is God. And everything including Lucifer was created by him. It was created that in heaven. All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Whether it is visible or invisible, whether they are thrones or dominions, principalities or power, all things were created through him, not only that, but for him. 
Okay. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. This is a difference between the two morning stars. One morning star was created and he was sub-created by Jesus. Okay. God created Lucifer also through Jesus. Jesus is the creator God. Okay. Father does it all, but he does it through the son. Okay. So Lucifer was created by Jesus. And one of the functions of Lucifer was to reflect Christ's glory. God's glory. Here O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Okay. So now what is happening is Lucifer refuses, rebels, and falls. And that's what Jesus is actually. We know Luke 10, 19, behold, I give you power. But 18 says, I saw him fall like lightning. He refused to do and he fell. He fell. He was cast out. He was fell. Okay. So this is a picture we have to get very, very clearly because Jesus has shown us the way. The way he has shown is that he was the creator whose glory creation was supposed to reflect. Satan fell, man fell. Yet the created in his incarnation becomes part of creation. Becomes part of creation. Okay? And then he teaches us how to reflect God's glory. That's why in scripture, in Jesus' walk on earth, he'll always talk only about his father. He will not even refuse to take that adjective good. He says, no, no, only God is good. Okay, so he gives God all the glory and his finishing statements of his ministry is that, Father, I have brought you glory by the work that I have done, by completing it, finishing it. So he, Jesus has shown us a way. And this is where we need to be very, very careful, is that if we steal God's glory, we'll also be cast down. We won't be lifted up. Why was Jesus lifted up? We know the seven steps he lifted up, humbled and humbled and humbled. Therefore, God has exalted him. Okay, Satan, on the other hand, lifted him up, so lifted and lifted, and God, cast, God has cast him down to the lowest levels. This is what we have to be careful about. So now and in eternity, God's children are supposed to reflect His glory. Okay, His glory, and it will it will differ if you go to Jan, Daniel chapter twelve, verse two and three. Many of those who sleep. In the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. But those who are wise shall shine. Okay, so we are talking about shining. Like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. So glory will be given to man, but it will be on that day. On that, each one will know. Even the translation, like even at the rapture, when the translation of the body changes in nature, though all the bodies of the raptured saints will be the same, the glory won't be. So the rapture itself is judgment. It will be judgment. Okay? We will look again to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 40 to 43. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, where the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, and then he comes to the stars. Okay? For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. 
it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. So God says that is what will happen on that day. That is what will happen on that day. Okay, so right now, he says, we remember we are running for a crown that is incorruptible, imperishable. Okay, this is, see, all the glory, whatever, however glorious you are in this world, in any field, it is fading. It is fading. Both time and age and sickness and the memory of people fail. Your glory goes. It is never, it is never there. It's always in the past. Like it's always in the past. But in eternity, glory won't be in the past. It will be eternally present. So God is talking about people who are running for a perishable crown and people who are running for an imperishable crown. And those who are running for an imperishable crown will be always very, very watchful and careful that they are running for the name of God and for the glory of God. Okay, yesterday we looked at what is that we are building. Are we building a tower or are we building an altar? In the tower, it is a name for ourselves. And we leave the world aside, let them build their towers. But even in the church, there are so many towers. People and churches and ministries are building a name for themselves. Okay. Abraham did not build a name for himself. God said, I will make your name great. Okay. Abraham is defined by altar, five altars. Isaac is defined by his altar. Jacob has two altars. Okay. These are people who build altars. Noah's first act after coming out of the ark was building an altar. So we need to ask ourselves, what are me? What am I building? Because what God is promising is that I will give you the morning star. For all the stars in the horizon, the, the brightest we are talking about, Astronomy, not astrology, astronomy over here. This is the morning star, but just before the sun rises, you can see it's actually, I think, not a star. It is Venus, if I'm, it's called a morning star. But this is what mariners used for navigation. Okay, because uh, you cannot use the sun so much for navigation because you only know east to west. But the morning star was that they used. Okay, that is the one they used for navigation. Okay, so God is talking about over here. He says, we will see that even more clearly if you go to Second uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. The, the background is God is talking about various way God speaks. Okay, God speaks in so many ways. He speaks in visions. He speaks in dreams. He speaks in prophecy. So many ways God has spoke to people in the past. Okay, and then the ultimate way God has spoken is He has spoken through His Word. It is written. Once it is written, it is closed. The canon is set in black and white. It is set. That is why by the time the book of Revelation is given, it is written. So Jesus will continuously use that word in the book of Revelation, write these words. It's written, write these words. Don't add to it, don't subtract from it. And then he says, blessed is he the one who reads. Understand this, only those who are in the race read, others only hear. Those who are in the race read. Those who are reading, even in a classroom, there are students who listen and the ones who go back and read their text. 
And there's always a difference. Though you must listen, you should also go back and read your text. Some students go through an entire year without reading their text at all. They just listen. But there are students who will know their text very well. Know their text very well. So even when they are listening, they will know where the teacher is coming from. Okay, so reading is mentioned over here. So in the context, actually you should read from verse 16 onwards, but we can leave it alone. He's talking about different ways in God and then he talks about the written prophetic word. So we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Okay, now even when the little ones are sitting, the littlest one, okay, littlest one is 10. How old are you, Jacob? Oh, you are 12, so she's the so two little ones, so they're 110, 112. Okay, 110, 112. You're the, it's the youngest ones here, the little one. You're also 12, right? 10. Oh, you're also 10. You're tall, but 10. Okay, 210 and 112. Okay, so we have little Chirukus also among us. So you need to realize, usually like when I became a believer, I was in 12, I was around 18, I think. I only read Good News Bible. Okay, because yeah, KJV. I mean, KJV, I didn't read, I didn't touch KJV for years, okay, because I didn't touch KJV for years, okay, and I'm not saying you shouldn't memorize KJV, but read good news which you can understand, memorize, one day you will understand what KJV meant, but read a translation when you are small which you can understand. There is no point in reading thou and thy and thine and all those things and you're wondering what it is. But memorize that. That is okay. Memorizing is one thing. Understanding is one thing. Okay. You can memorize without understanding. Okay. So the little ones are here. When they are listening to the word, it is just like a little light for them. A little light for them. So we were all little ones when we came to the Lord. Whatever age, we were all little and what he dawned into us is a light. The light has come in from darkness. The gospel is the light of God. It came in. But as we choose to progress, progression is a choice. You cannot just progress by yourself. But I mean, none of you will even physically grow normally unless you eat well and you do all the formats which God has given. Eat well, exercise everything, eat healthy, all. Otherwise, you won't grow well. When the Bible says Jesus increased in stature, that means he ate. Okay, he ate. Okay, so you need to understand progression is there. But what happens as the light shines in a dark place and it keeps on until the day dawns and the culmination, the morning star rises in your hearts. The morning star is no longer outside. The guidance is no longer outside. The guidance has come inside. You are now guided by God himself from Within, the morning star has come inside. Now, when we understand the glory part and the guidance part, then only we will understand what is God offering this church. The remnant in Thyatira who are doing good, they have everything what the other churches did not have, plus they're increasing in it. So he says, I will not put any more burden on you. It's good. Be faithful until I come. And I promise you, I'll give you authority over the nations. And then, what will I give you? Going back to the last verse, I will give you the morning star, okay? Yeah, uh, that is verse 28. Hmm? 28, okay, 28, 29, Revelation 2. I will give him the morning star. I will give you the morning star. So, who is the morning star? 
it is Christ. Okay, if you go to Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. Okay, Genesis chapter verse 1. This is what God tells Abraham. After these things, the word of the Lord. Remember when we studied here, we saw this is the first time we have the usage. The word of the Lord came to Abraham. That's what I said. God has spoken to his own people in different ways. So God has spoken to Abraham earlier, Abraham earlier. But that was in a different way. Here, the word of the Lord is coming to Abraham in a vision. Saying, do not be afraid. And he says, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Now, the construction is different. He's not saying, I will shield you. He's not saying, I will protect you. He says, I am your shield. He's not saying, I will reward you. He's saying, I am your reward. Okay, I am your reward. So to this church, when he says, I will give you the morning star, the question is asking, what is God speaking about here? And this is what Paul's entire life centers around. In the book of Philippians, he says, he says I'm running for Christ. I'm running for Christ. He is the price, which people do not realize. The price is Christ. The price is actually Christ. Who will get Christ? Who will get Christ is called the bride. Who will get Christ? Okay, Eliezer is on a long, long journey and he's on a very intensive search. Who is he looking for? The bride for Isaac. But when he finds her, she's ready to leave. But when she goes, she doesn't go alone. She has ten bridesmaids with her. They are also traveling in the same direction, but they don't have her hope. They don't have our hope. So that is our hope, the hope of glory. When you are talking about the hope of glory, what is the hope of our glory? Our highest hope of glory is to share Christ, is to have Christ. So we have to look in terms, like I said, no? Uh, yesterday we looked at that term called truth has emit and the ultimately the most powerful part of emit is when we Grab hold of the person of truth. I can have truth as an idea and a set of ideas. It's very powerful. It's liberating. But having truth as a person is different from having truth as an idea. One, it is intellectual. The other is experiential. You have the person. You have the person. And everyone who have come through in the kingdom of God under unbelievable stress and testing is who took hold of Christ Jesus. They experience truth as a person. But the problem that is, that also is the problem. Because if it is not a problem, if it's not a person, and if it is a set of ideas, it is much more easier. I can pick an idea and it becomes my own idea. But we are not talking just about truth as an idea. It is as a person. And when it comes to a person, it is always dependent upon a relationship. Because we are now we're going to come to the fifth church and we will realize there is a very major issue with the fifth church. Okay, let's go there today. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, the church in Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write. Again, remember, write, not speak, write. These things says he who has seven spirits of God and seven stars. Now, please understand this. By the time the book of Revelation is come, we are ending, reaching the close of the apostolic age. Okay, the age. And we need to realize 
It is the gospel that turned the world literate. Literate. Okay. Because the gospel is that one book that has been translated into the maximum number of languages. There was an impetus of learning. Okay, learning. All the universities in the West, every university was primarily founded as a place for men and women to study scripture. Okay, because this was the power of the gospel. It was the power. The gospel is the power of God. That if people were to read on their own, they could be saved. Because it was a living book. There was a person behind it. Okay. That is why there was never any impetus in other religion to translate their books into other languages. On the other hand, there was, the movement was the opposite. Don't translate. Don't translate. Nobody should read. One particular class alone held on to it. In the Middle Ages, when the Dark Ages, when Christianity when again went dark, the same thing happened. Because you need to realize, why is this whole education system, as you think, which spread all around the world, is because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. Okay, so God is telling there, right. Why? There is an age that is going to come where believers will read. Believers will read. All you have to do is that, Pass the books, the Bible into the hands of people. People will see, this is like if you go into the old system, you will realize, you know, like I said in Kerala, in my language, it is much more easier. The missionaries come and uh, what they do is there are two things and the words are the same. In Malayalam, Palli means church. Pallikuda means school. That was how it always was. There was a church and there was a school. And people send their children to school. And what they learned was basically, primarily in the beginning, scripture. That was how it always was. And if you look in the old western, old centuries back western, the church was the school. And then on Sundays, the church became a school where they taught the children. And what they taught was from the Bible. They taught from the Bible. They taught them to the alphabets, how to read, and then taught them how to read the Bible. Now we have taught people to read and to read everything except the Bible. That's why the, the problem is, okay, we taught people to read, but they don't read the Bible anymore. And the Bible has been kept out. Even in Christian nations, they have been kept out by the law. Why this is important? Because every letter God will write this thing saying, to the angel of the church in Sardis. This angel here, of course, is the head, the pastor over there. Right. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. What I'm speaking, right, he says. Now he's focusing on the fifth church. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. You will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. 
He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, just six verses. But scary verses. Okay. So recapping, please remember, it's a fifth church. He writes letters to seven churches who actually physically existed in one time, but it is also being written to all churches in all time. Okay. So many godly men of God, when they do the exegesis of the book of Revelation, especially these seven churches, they will go to the local history of those places. And I refuse to do that. I don't want to go outside the Bible and pick up secular history and to give you a background and then that is the reason God wrote this thing. No, I don't want to go into secular history because then the problem is you'll start bringing secular history into every portion of scripture. And they have brought and taken out things saying this was only written to because there was a particular problem in the church in Corinth and therefore it was a cultural problem. We don't bring culture here. Don't bring culture here because we don't want to go over there. Yes, there were seven churches in these seven places in Turkey. The ruins are there of all that, but that is irrelevant. Let's use only scripture as far as possible. Only use scripture to interpret scripture. So he comes here, okay? So he's introducing the fifth church. And please remember, this church is still there. Okay, still there in the sense like these characteristics of this church can be found in an individual or a church. That's why it is not bound by time. And we'll also see each of his introductions to how he introduces himself to each of these churches is not the same. Though almost all the introductions are already captured in chapter 1. But he will not introduce that wholesome way to each church. He will introduce himself with one facet of his character. Okay, So he says, I am the one who has the seven spirits of God and seven stars. Okay, And then he says, I know your works. I know your works. Now remember, that's how he begins with all churches. But this is the church which has no commendation. It does not begin with their commendation. Go to 2, 2, 2, 9, 2, 13, and 2, 19, the earlier churches. I know your works. Yeah, yeah. 2, 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested. So it's all commendation. When you come to 2, 9, the next church, I know your works, your tribulation, poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say. So he's, okay. When you come to 2, 19, uh, 2, 13, yeah. I know your works, where you dwell, where Satan is. You did not deny my faith, even it's all commendation. When you come to 19 also, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience. As for your works, the last are more. And so every church so far, when it begins by saying, I know your works. He gives a list. He gives a list. There is always commendation. But when it comes to Sardis, it is different. He said, I know your works. I know your works. You have a name. You have a reputation. That you are alive. But you are dead. Okay, no commendation here. He says, I know your works. 
I know your work. So, so we have to take it personally and we have to take it as a corporate body. What if you have a dream in the night where God comes and says, I know your works. You have a reputation in the church, but you're actually dead. You're not alive. You're dead. Okay. Or he tells a pastor of a church. So your church has a great reputation in the city. Everybody thinks you're vibrant, but I'll tell you the truth. You're dead. You are dead. Okay. This is where it is so important because he is the one who holds the seven stars, who walks among the seven lampstands. Okay. This is David's cry. Lord, you search me. You know me better than I know myself. Okay. So we see the, the seven golden lampstands we had seen, the seven stars. It is, it is, uh, it is, uh, explained over there in, uh, Mystery 120, Revelation 120. The mystery of the seven stars which I, you saw in my hand, right hand and the seven golden stamps. This is it. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Angel. Basically here means minister. It cannot be an angel because angels are not indicted for the wrong doctrine in the church. You did not see an angel preach to you yesterday. You saw a man preaching you to yesterday. So the indictment is not to the angel. The indictment is to the man. Okay, so he's not talking about the angels, he's talking. So what are the seven stars? The seven lampstands are the churches. The seven stars are the pastors. The ministers over there, so we know that. But what he's trying to tell to the book of Sardis, so the letter to Sardis by saying that he's fully encased in the life of every genuine church. But people are not. Even though we come, we forget why we come. The only reason we gather is because he said, if you, first, many reasons are there. First reason is there should be God in the beginning, God. If two or three gather in my name, I will be in your midst. If we believe that, everything will change. Everything will change. If we really believe this morning, Jesus is here because we gathered in his name, everything will change. Perspective will always change. Okay, everything will change. We don't believe. We don't believe. And therefore, you know what? That does not mean he's not there. It's not there. All these churches, except for Smyrna and Philadelphia, actually did not believe he was there. But he was there. And therefore, the indictments are coming. You are living as if I am not there. But I am there. And I'm watching everything. Everything. Okay, fully. And he is... Very faithful. Jesus is very, very faithful in his priestly ministry. Remember yesterday we looked at the first man. Tend and keep your priestly function in serving and your function in watching. That is his function. And Jesus is very unlike Adam and the Adamic race. Jesus is extremely faithful in his function, both in tending and in watching. He is. Okay. So he says... I will hold the local leader of whichever church it is responsible. That is why the Bible says, serve the ones who have rule over you. Don't grieve them because it will not benefit them. It will not benefit you. It will not benefit you. Okay, so he got up. So there is 
responsibility and accountability. And Jesus is both responsible and accountable. The confusion comes usually with that one word, seven spirits of God. Remember, it is repeated in two other places in the book of Revelation, in 4, 5 and 5, 6. Some of you are uh, struggling, and the reason you are struggling is that you went for a movie. But the problem is there was a traffic jam. And by the time you reached the theater, the movie was almost half done. But you still managed to get a ticket and went in, and you're trying to follow it from the middle of the movie. If you don't know the beginning, you don't know the end, you're caught somewhere in the beginning, in the middle. So you're trying to figure out what is happening here. The problem is you never followed the teachings of the book of Revelation sequentially. If you had done your homework, you would have known where we are. And if you had done your personal study, you would still know where you are. Okay? And same thing happens on a Sunday. There is always a continuum in the messages we preach. But because people are always buying a ticket to the middle of the movie, they don't know what has happened before and they're expectantly waiting for what is going to happen later. And what happened later also doesn't make any sense because you don't know the beginning. So you're trying to figure out your own interpretation of what probably happened in this movie. So you're confusing the villain for the hero and the hero for the villain. Okay, please understand these things. Jesus is very, very serious about us. Very, very serious about us. Okay, and this is how it should go. You should have a continuum. The Bible, we saw one thing about truth is I sent you the simple Hebraic teaching also. If you want to learn, you can do it. It is there. It is a website from Aleph onwards. They will teach. If you want to learn Hebrew, it is good. I don't have the time to learn, but once in a while, listen. But Strong's Concordance is there, so it will give you number-wise everything. That is what it means in Hebrew, I believe. Uh, Hebrew is a godly language, but in under the sun right now, English is the best language because I believe you have more resources available in English more than in any language in the world. Okay, so I believe English is the best language primarily to study the word of God because you have so many translations and so many Hebrew scholars who have translated different possible meanings, okay? But it depends upon what you are interested in, in the eternal or the temporal. Can only, the teacher's job is only to create desire. But if the desire is not created, it's not the teacher's fault. You came already full with something else, so you had no appetite. It's not an indictment, it is a fact. Revelation chapter 4, verse 5 and 5, verse 6. No indictment on the little ones, okay? Little ones are never indicted, okay? You don't even know what indictment means, no? It's okay. It's good not to know it until the time comes. Mm. Okay? From the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So here's, see the book of Revelation is all imagery. Symbols and imagery. Okay, so here the seven spirits of God are seven lamps of fire burning before the throne of God. Imagery. Symbols. Okay, in 5 6, 
I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. These are symbols and imagery. Who are these four living creatures? Who are these elders? We only know the lamb and God. All the others is always like it's it's like symbols. The question is, how do you translate into uh, human language something that is divine? We don't have words. We don't have words to describe it. Okay, so in we are translated and we move into the other realm. We probably will understand what language is. Human language is not real language because it's always constrained by so many things. We cannot really, really express. Okay, really express like uh, God is love. God is love. So love is not of human origin. Love is of divine origin. So you have billions and billions of texts and poems and books and novels all describe trying to describe love and nobody is able to capture it. Why should it take a billion books to define love? Because it's not human. It's not human. It's divine. It's divine. So whatever is divine, the human cannot capture it completely. Even truth in itself, we can never capture it completely. Okay, so understand what's happening. We are being given a symbolic picture of the Holy Spirit. Seven lambs, seven eyes, lambs burning, seven spirits. So the question is, is the Holy Spirit one or seven? But we know seven is a number of completeness, perfection, fullness. The only place where we can understand it is in Isaiah chapter 11, in verse 2. The only plus, that's what I said, let's use scripture to interpret scripture. This is talking about Jesus, a prophetic vision of Jesus. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. First is the spirit of the Lord. First thing we need to understand is, it is the spirit of the Lord. Okay. Why is God the Father, the Son and the Spirit one? Because three of them have the same spirit. God is spirit, the Holy Spirit is spirit, and Christ is also spirit. If the spirit of Christ is, is in you, okay? And we will say, how is that possible? Let me ask you this question. We are all sitting in the same room. Everyone looks different. Even to those brothers look different. But everybody is breathing the same air. And everybody here is kept alive by the same air. And this is ultimately how eternity will be. Everybody will be filled by the same spirit. How are we one family? Because we are born again by the same spirit. How is one earthly family? Because they have the same blood. The same blood, the blood, the same blood flows in. That is earthly. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. So God is talking about first, the spirit of the Lord. Second, the spirit of wisdom. Third, the spirit of understanding. Fourth, the spirit of counsel. Five, the spirit of might. Six, the spirit of knowledge. And seven, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. This is the sevenfold spirit that rested upon Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit in its fullness. And Jesus is the only human being ever to walk on earth who was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
in its totality. Because the Bible says the fullness of God was in him. All of us who are filled with the Holy Spirit is only filled to a small portion. But remember, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have these seven. You have all seven in you. All the seven is there in you. Okay? But remember, He is the Lord. He is the Lord. Jesus had all the seven. He did not manifest all the seven simultaneously all the time. He did not. The Lordship was in the hands of the Holy Spirit. He manifested it through His Son at appropriate times. But the condition is you have to allow the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. And you will see one thing about Jesus Christ is what you, what defined him was the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. And almost every human being you see, even in the church spectrum you are talking about, is they try to use the Holy Spirit and do not let the Holy Spirit use them like Jesus did. Okay, and that's that's our primary uh, primary problem, because everybody wants, but the first thing God says is surrender. So here, Jesus is talking about has the one who has the fullness of the Holy Spirit, because he's talking to man. He's the Son of God and the Son of Man. He's the Son of Man who has the seven stars, right? Seven stars. He has the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And he who has the fullness of the Holy Spirit, therefore, absolute, total discernment. Absolute, total discernment. Okay, the Bible talks about even Jesus walked on earth. He knew everything about everyone. Therefore, he would not trust himself with anyone. But here, it's not even him walking in the flesh where there were constraints. Here, he is the eternal being, no constraints. He knows everything about every one of us. And the first statement he makes is, I know your works. I know your works. And he says, I know your works. And he says, you have a name. You have a reputation. What is your name, your reputation? Going to chapter 3. That you are alive. You are alive. But the fact is, you are dead. That's a very severe, severe indictment. Terrible. The most terrible indictment one can receive while living is that you are dead. No? And it doesn't matter what you state on what people look at. Okay? Remember what God's, the father said about the prodigal son? My son was dead. See, before he reached the big pen, he was having a blast. Everybody thought he was successful. He was successful. But the father said he's dead. He's dead. He didn't say he died slowly. He said he's dead. He's dead. Okay, so he's telling them, you are dead. The, in, the, the terrible part is that the church by definition should be the only entity that is really alive. So he calls the church, you are the light. Then he calls the church or the individual, you are the light, you are the salt. He takes salt out. It doesn't matter what you make, everything tastes the same. 
So the believer by definition is actually supposed to be alive. Okay? So if you look at Jesus, the indictments in Matthew chapter 21, verse 19. Okay? Israel, there the picture of Israel. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. What is that? From far it had a reputation. It is a reputation that drew Jesus to the tree. But on inspection he found there was no fruit. It had a reputation. It was alive. But in actual fact is it was dead. In Matthew 3 verses 7 to 10, this is the precursor to Jesus, John the Baptist indictment. When he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees, who are these? These are that class of people in the society who have a reputation. They are the religious class. They have a reputation coming to his baptism. He said to them, brood of vipers, who want you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear what? Fruits worthy of repentance. So here is this class of people who should be alive. But they are the ones who are actually dead. And the ones who are dead, the publicans, that is the tax collectors, the prostitutes, Jesus said, you know what? They were dead, but now they are alive. You were supposed to be alive, but you are dead. They are flocking into the kingdom of God. You are all stuck outside. Okay. And one of the illustrations, powerful illustrations men of God make is that when you go into a night sky, really night sky, not a city night sky, in a countryside night sky, when you go to the countryside night sky, when there is, there is, there is hardly any power or there is no power, like in Nepal and all where there is no power, you look up, you see stars, you see stars. But do you know most of, many of those stars are dead? The stars don't exist anymore. They are light years away. That stars exploded and disappeared. But we are still seeing the light because we are caught in time. So when we look at it, we see the light and said, Wow, I didn't know it is so bright. But it's not there. If you are translated into the new body where your speed is faster than light, speed of thought, you were to look for the stars. Many of them are no longer, they no longer exist. So God is saying, you had a reputation. You have a reputation. Okay? But you are dead. Smyrna is being put to death, but they are alive. Sardis appear to be alive, but they are dead. And in verse 2 he says, what remains also is about to die. Be watchful, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Okay, That is why in the introduction to this letter, Jesus introduces the seven spirits of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, and John chapter 6, 63. 
Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit. So he says, proof of life is you are born of the spirit. Proof of eternal life, you are born of the spirit. Then you have entered into the kingdom of God. Because what is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Then, pulling this argument or pushing this argument further. These are very good litmus tests. You have in science something called a litmus test, right? Go to 6 and verse 63. God comes and says this further. 663, John 663. It is the spirit who gives the flesh profits and the words that I speak to you. So you need to ask the question, why is that I am never interested in the word of God? Because you are dead. As simple as that, you are dead. It's, this does not mean you don't listen to other things. You don't read other things. You listen to other things and read other things which are flesh. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. That is how it works. It's a very simple thing. Very, very simple thing. Okay? So, it is, it is, it is not, uh, what you call it, uh, this is not rocket science. Okay? <laughs> like yesterday, when we were talking to Ravi's wife, and then what do you do? She said, robotic automation. I said, okay, I know Pastor Vijay did robotics. I know Brother Rafith does automation. Maybe you need to get these two people together. You will understand what she does. Okay, robotic automation. And this is very simple. The gospel is very simple. <laughs> it's neither robotic nor automation. If you're alive, you will eat. If you don't eat, you will die. If you are spiritually alive, you will eat what is spiritual. And the only thing that is spiritual is my word. Either hear or you read. One of these two things or both. Preferably both. It should be both. I read, I hear. If you don't hear and you don't read, it doesn't mean you're physically dead. You're physically alive. But spiritually dead. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh Prophets, nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So when he comes to this church in Sardis, he says, I am the one who holds the seven spirits. He introduces the Holy Spirit to this church. Why? Who has the seven spirits and the seven stars? And he looks at them and says, I know your works. What is that I know about your works? You have a reputation of being alive. But you are dead. You are dead. The Bible talks about the difference between reputation and reality. Go to James chapter 2. First verse 17 and then verse 26. And also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay. Faith is what you believe you are saved by grace through faith. Okay? But faith has its works. Okay? It works. Remember, 
10, 2 weeks back. Today is Monday, right? Here, yeah, almost 2 weeks back. We had a baby born, beautiful baby born. But why did we all panic? Why did I, 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 mean, I panicked and I rebooked and rushed back? Because the baby was born without breath. It was blue. It was not breathing. They resuscitated her and she was in the ICU on the ventilator on that for almost seven days. Okay. Why did they panic? Why, if you were there, I don't know, I wasn't there, but I heard if you were there, you would have seen the commotion. Instruments all being brought, everything, try to bring the baby back to life. Why? Because it did not have works. In physical life, there are works that are evidence of life. Evidence of life. In spiritual life, which is called faith, my righteous shall live by faith. There is evidence of works. So you will know you are living by faith. So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 26. As the body without the spirit is dead. Here spirit also actually means also your soul. Pranical gaya. Hava gaya. Okay, we have different, different terms. Okay, it's left. So faith without works is dead. Now remember, faith is one of the most important facets of our spiritual life. But faith has its works. Faith has its works. And one of the first evidences of faith is it hears. It hears. What does it hear? It hears the word of God. So those who heard, their hearts were cut. They were heard. They asked questions. What should we do? Peter said, this is what you need to do. They did it. And then they came continuously for hearing. 3,000 continuously. Why? Because they had faith. Okay. So you need to look at a series. That's why we study the Bible. Because what happens is, now there is little ones, two little ones sitting there, 10 year old. But remember, Jesus also grew. Okay. So you spiritually grow. Spiritually grow. You grow in your most holy faith. So this is where it comes. So it didn't happen overnight. Okay. They probably, if you look at the other four churches, they probably first left their first love. Then they gave to the pressure of the world around. Okay. They compromised like Pergamum and tolerated like Thyatira. Now they became advocates of the world and not advocates of God. And now they have reached what we call in spiritual metastasis, they have reached stage six. Cancer has how many stage? Three, right? Four, four, stage four. But spiritually you have stage six, okay, which is found in James chapter one, 14 to 15. There are seven stages that is mentioned have you reached? Each one is tempted and is drawn by his own desires. So the first stage is we all have desires. 
God given desires. That is stage one. If you don't have desires, you are dead. If you are alive, you have desires. Even if you are lying on the bed, on a ventilator. But if your mind is functioning, you have desires to get out of the ventilator. Okay. You have desires where it begins. Because if you don't have desires, you cannot be tempted. To be tempted, you need to have desires. So stage one, safe. That's why God always wants you to handle stage one. So he says, you know what, flee enticement. No, he says flee temptation. Flee temptation. Stage one, we are alive and we all have desires. Stage two, we are tempted. Stage three, we are enticed. Stage four, desire, temptation has now conceived Stage 5, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. This process, this is how the process. Okay. Now you cannot see, see all the ascetics in every religion, every culture, including biblical culture, try to become ascetics. They were trying to kill desire. But the problem is, you cannot kill desire cannot kill desire. Because desire was given by God. The only way you can kill desire is when you are dead. But when you die unsaved, your desires go with you. I thirst. Send him to my brother's house. Nothing is changed. Nothing is changed. Okay? So understand what is happening over here because we understand. Okay? We understand. This is basically Department of Pathology and Radiology. Okay. We understand each one of us. We can diagnose our own problems. Like I said, the Bible is a very good, wonderful self-help book. Okay, Because if you learn to use the Bible and the Spirit of God who is within us as a counselor, we become a blessing and not a burden. A burden. Okay. Now, when children are born and they are small, when they are growing up, they are not a blessing. To be put it factually without bringing sentiments in, they are a burden. We don't see them as a burden because God's sight, they are a blessing. But if you look at it practically, from the time of conception onwards, they are a burden. Our mindset is they are a blessing. Okay, And then as they start growing up, we try to change them by saying that stop being a burden, be a blessing. Now you can do this by yourself, you can do this by yourself, you can do this. And as they learn to do things on their own, they are becoming first a blessing because the burden is being lifted off the parents. A child will wake up on its own, it's a huge blessing. Get ready on its own. It's a huge blessing. Keeps its own space or room clean. It's a huge blessing. Then moving from that, you start helping your parents. You become a bigger blessing. When you're doing only for yourself, you are a blessing only because you removed the, your burden of somebody else. That's part one of blessing. Part two of blessing is when you are lightening somebody else's burden. So that is progress. That is progress. And please remember, don't stay at stage one, Arundhati. Don't stay at stage one. I don't know whether you are still in stage one. You have to move to stage two. That's when you are a real blessing. Stage one, yes. The burden which, your burden which other bore, you just took it off. But you're not taking anybody's burden on your shelves. And at that point, if you die, you'll be still judged as selfish. 
and not selfless. You are still selfish. You are only thinking about yourself. Okay, I don't depend upon you. I don't need anything from you. You are still selfish. You are not a blessing. You are not a true blessing. Please understand how these things work. Because the Bible is a very, 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 like, addresses the problem of mankind and gives the solution of the mankind. And many men of other religions have understood this principle, like the one from Raigada station, which Pastor Vijay, I also read the same thing, because I was in the station more than him. He met Gandhi is actually talking about the best way is to serve others. The best way to love is to serve others. And therefore he was a blessing. So he was a blessing to a nation. He was a blessing. Okay, so you can serve yourself. Three stages. You can get others to serve you, or serve yourself, or serve others. Ask yourself, where are you? The child is getting others to serve her. The young man has learned to serve himself. The father has learned to serve others. And Jesus was a father. Jesus was a father. And he's our role model. But you don't reach there in one day. But you have to be have that progression. You have to have this progression. Otherwise, you know what? In the twinkling of an eye, judgment will come. So, this is what happened. So, you look at this church. The church pro- probably has to be that way because nobody just turns overnight. Slowly has metasized. Now, this church is only living for pleasure. That is the key. Okay, You can either live for pleasure or you can live for purpose. They are living for pleasure. And Paul makes this distinction very, very clearly in his first letter to Timothy in chapter 5, verse 5, and then verse 6. Yeah, 5 and 6. Okay, Now, who is really a widow? Now, the widow, if you look in contemporary culture, and ancient culture is the most vulnerable of all people. Okay, we know it's the most vulnerable because a woman was never meant to be alone. That's why woman was created last. Man can be alone. But a woman was never meant to be alone. If a woman was meant to be alone, he would have created a woman first. Adam was alone for a long time. We don't know how long. But a woman was never alone. In creation model, we looked at a creation model. Always go back to the beginning. Okay, the creation model. If you look at it, okay, the woman was never such. Even in the Catholic order, where you have women who are all nuns, you will see they always have a priest about them, a man about them. That's why the system runs well. Runs very well. All the protections which is needed from the time they join has to novice till they die is taken care of by the church. They actually have no cares in the world. They are just asked to do what they are told to do. And they don't have to worry about anything. Everything is maybe frugal life, but everything is taken care of till the moment they die. Everything is taken care of. All things. They have the hospitals, they have the old age homes, they have everything is taken care of. And I can tell you because I come from their background and I haven't seen their setups. Everything is taken care of. Okay, so you need to realize a widow is the most vulnerable in a society and left alone, meaning she has no husband, she has no sons, trusts in God, continues in supplication, prayers, night and day. What is she? She's alive. 
she's alive. Spiritually alive. But another widow. She's also really a widow. She's also alone. But she lives in pleasure. Is dead while she loves. So, like I said, let us use scripture to interpret. Sardis is dead. Why did a church which definitely began well Ended this point because slowly this. So if you look even today, especially, especially in the Western world, okay, it's permitted into everywhere. There are churches built solely on entertainment. It's just entertainment. Entertainment, 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 entertainment. In Okay. And you see the first model in Exodus 32 and verse 6. 32 verse. That's where the church began. Because Israel is called the church in the wilderness. First church, huge church, over 2 million people. First pastor called, shepherd called Moses. Huge. And one day the shepherd went away. God called him. He didn't take a break. God told him, come up hither. So he was away. Once the cat was out, the mice began to play. Okay. The shepherd is out of the picture. One man who knows God is out of the picture. And there's another man there who doesn't know God. Okay. So this is the result of their first service. They had their first congregational gathering. They rose early on the next day. Very good. They rose very early. And we have so many of our generation will wake up very early when there is a football match. Cricket match, football match, whichever part of the hemisphere, it does not matter. I am there for you. They rose up early. Hmm? What did they do? They will go and burn their bread and omelette in the hurry to eat. They offer burnt offerings. They have no patience for that because they know the game will begin now. Game will begin. They will burn it. Okay. Offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings. And people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is the first congregational gathering celebrating in the wilderness. That's why they were destroyed. They had a reputation of being alive. But the first generation was actually dead. They were dead. They had a reputation. All the surrounding people, you know, Rehab's testimony, our hearts had melted because of fear. They had a great reputation. But they were all wusses. Great reputation. But they were really dead. And the only restraining influence in their midst was Moses. So when Moses was gone, restrained gone. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 6 and 7. Okay, you need to realize what is happening over here. Okay, now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. Okay, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So you need to realize within <laughs> within the corporate body and the individual believer, the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now he is not taken away, but he goes quiet. He goes quiet. 
he goes quiet. Who silence him? You and I do. We silence him. And as he goes quiet, the restrainer goes quiet. What starts manifesting? Lawlessness starts manifesting. Lawlessness starts manifesting. This is how an individual or a church goes dead. So God has put two restraining influences for every child of him. Yes. One, he has put the law outside. Okay, law outside. Two, he has put the spirit inside. Now there is a complete breakdown of law and order in Hyderabad. Let us say all the police went on a strike. No police, no strike. Government is in chaos. Immediately riots will break out. Riots for riots sake. And during riots what takes place is looting takes place. Why does looting take place? Because law has broken down. The outside restrainer has removed. But in the midst of the looting, if you are a true believer, you will not do anything at all because inside there is a restrainer. You don't do stuff like this. So, thousands of young men from Judah have been brought to Babylon. Their names have been changed. They are sitting in the Babylonian dining room court. Food has been spread out there, Babylonian cuisine. The law has been lifted. There's no law. There's a new law. It's a Babylonian law. Eat, drink, whatever you want. Four people have the restrainer inside. They said, we will not. We will not. This is a simple picture. How does a person die? One who was alive, how did he die? How did a church which had an incredible reputation called Wesleyan church, how did it die? Lutheran church, how did it die? They were powerful in their times. But how did it die? Not all of them, but generally speaking, many of these, what we call mainline, and we are not condemning them because lest we be careful. But the fact of the matter is true. True. What happened to them? But they were not like that once. They didn't turn like that overnight. How did it happen? The same way can happen to all of us individually. Okay, So that's what God is talking about. Once the Holy Spirit leaves. Okay, That's a, that's a final point. I pray nobody reaches that point. But that is the final point. So, uh, one of the most Powerful pictures in the Bible. Because we have analogy, which is Old Testament. Application, New Testament. You need analogy. Okay, We have pictures. How do you apply? Most powerful pictures we have is the first two kings of Israel. First two kings of Israel. In that first two pictures, I want you to look at First Samuel chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. So it was, when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. When they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. Who is this? So this is how he began. A new heart. The Spirit of God is upon him. And he is prophesied. This is where he began. Years later, if you come to First Samuel chapter 
16 and verse 13 and 14. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Plus, please remember this. This is Old Testament. It's an analogy. This is not one-on-one application of new covenant because here we are talking about a king's anointing. Okay, kingly anointing, king's anointing. God cannot have two kings at the same time. One king has to abdicate. Okay, what people see and what realities are two different things. So Samuel anointed David and what happened? The spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. What is happening on the other side? The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. The question is, is Saul sitting on the throne? Yes, he has the reputation of being alive. But he is dead. David is being chased for years by Saul. So he has the reputation of being dead. But he's actually alive. And nobody sees it. Nobody sees it. Few discerning people are able to see. One who sees is Jonathan. Another one who sees is Abigail. Only two people actually see. Two people are able. One man and one woman is able to see. The king's son is able to see. I know. You are the next king. Abigail is able to see. What is the reality? Reality is Saul is sitting on the throne. His king, soldiers are with him, the army is with him, everything. And other side, David is running, 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 running for his life. So if you look at the physical picture, Saul is alive, David is dead. If you look at the spiritual picture, David is alive, Saul is dead. Okay. So you have two churches in these five Put together. If you look at Smyrna, Smyrna is dead. It's not alive. It is dead. And God also says, be faithful unto death. If you look at Sardis, it looks alive. But in the spiritual realm, it is completely different. The question is, we don't have to worry about anybody else. What we have to worry about is, ourselves. Don't worry about denominations, anybody. We just worry about ourselves. Is my reputation true? Is my reputation true? I have a reputation. Everybody is after reputation. I have a reputation. Is it true? We are not talking about the world's reputation. World's reputation. Okay? We are talking about spiritual The sons of Skiva came and tried to do a deliverance. But the problem is, they were attempting to do something in the spiritual realm, not in the physical realm. In the spiritual realm, there are no secrets. Everything is open. So they said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul speaks, get out. They said, we know Paul, we know Jesus. Who are you? Who are you? Okay. Who are you? Please be careful because these letters were written 2,000 years ago by Jesus himself. These are the final words of Jesus to his people before the end comes. And the fact of the matter is the indictment of Sardis is different from the others. It is scary. He doesn't tell that to loudish. He says, you are lukewarm. Either be hot or cold or I will spew you out. But to Sardis he says, you are dead. And very few things are left which have signs of life it is able to 
ఉంటుందా ఓకే ఎవరుంది వెంటలేటు ఓకే ఇఫ్ యూ రిమెంబర్ దాట్స్ వై పీపుల్ హ్యావ్ టు బీ ఛాలెంజ్డ్ కాన్స్టెంట్లీ పీపుల్ డోంట్ డై ఇన్ ఎ సూప్ ఇన్ సూప్ టుడక్ వోకప్ టుడే డైడ్ ఇన్ ద ఈవినింగ్ ఇట్ డజన్ హ్యాపన్ దే డై స్లోలీ దిస్ డై స్లోలీ ఓకే డై స్లోలీ శాంసంగ్ డెన్ డై ఇన్ వన్ డే But if you listen to his first words, you knew he was already on the way to death. You know what he said? He didn't listen to his parents. The instructions of his birth and his living and preparation were given to the parents. It's not what he did. That's not where he went wrong. He didn't listen to them. And when we don't listen to what godly counsel is and have our own way, God will allow you to go that way and say, that's my will for you now. we have this saying i have to repeat it in the church two or three times in malayalam adicha vali poyilengil poya vali adikkum if you do not go in the way god has disciplined you then he will discipline you in the way you go and that is also god's will for you okay that is where he goes wrong and after that it is if you look at his life it is just he is just going downward 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 down and one day he wakes up and realizes the spirit of god has left but the consoling factor unlike saul is that he can come back okay he can come back in our case if you are truly truly saved he doesn't go but it is feels like every day even today two two or three males calls not calls males the fear of people that god has left okay it is not that god has left it is just god is silent sometimes he is silent because you silenced him sometimes he is silent to see if you will go by the lessons you have learned because god doesn't want you to hold you by hand or he says i have taught you many things now right god left uh, hezekiah for a season to test the lessons you have learned lessons you have learned so it is not that he has left but it will feel like he has left and we can go into that so in second timothy yesterday we looked at it and then we'll go my it's not there today too okay please chapter 4 verse 1 and 2 okay paul's charge to timothy and therefore to every servant of god i charge you it's a very powerful word okay i charge you this is how uh, commanding officers give in the army your charge i charge you therefore before god and the lord jesus christ no men in all over there your popular opinion does not matter what the people want i charge you before god and the lord jesus christ who will judge the living so he goes to eternal judgment <laughs> he lives the first five foundational principles and goes to the sixth one eternal judgment i charge you because of eternal judgment that is coming what should you do preach the word when in season out of season there are no season for the words all seasons preach the word in season out of season and what should the preacher be he should be always be ready okay so people do not understand why is that we spend so much time preparing just to be ready just to be ready you 
go down that highway suchitra from there you go down to those milltown at this time you go around 10 o'clock 11 o'clock if you are able to look over the wall you will see the soldiers doing something they are always cleaning their guns always practicing and many of them join the army and retire the army never having to fight a war but they are always preparing always preparing so there is something that is called to preachers always be ready why and what should they do they should preach the word not fables and myths preach the word convince rebuke exhort with all long suffering like i said some may sleep some may snore some may drool long suffering continue wake them up and continue don't give up by looking at the congregation why because the charge was not given by the congregation it was given by god and the lord jesus christ continue 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 why because you have to keep them ready keep them ready on their toes you know why you do not know two things one you don't know when you will die yesterday one child was talking about getting into an mmts train and a little father put the little 7 year old girl the girl fell the train started the girl died in front of her you don't know whether you are 7 or 70 when you will die that's why i always tell people when it rains walk carefully all it can dig one slip your life is gone don't take these chances be very circumspect even in the physical realm how you walk Okay, be very, very careful. You can just, just you are, you don't know when it will happen. So there is this constant preparation. The problem is the pastor at Sardis was not prepared, nor was he preparing. He didn't preach the word. He didn't convince. He didn't rebuke. He didn't exhort, and he had no long suffering. And there was no teaching. Ultimately, they slowly <coughs> died. they slowly died what happened even timothy had that problem remember second timothy 16 therefore i remind you to do what stir up and all women and men who have ever cooked once in their life with oil you know if you don't stir up it catches sticks to the bottom of the kadai you have to keep on stirring it otherwise you'll get a burnt offering keep on stirring it up stirring a lot of people don't stir it up they just start trouble very good at stirring up trouble wherever they go no god is not talking about that he says you have a gift it's like fire the word of god has to be stirred up constantly the spiritual life has to be we have heard these messages a thousand times but the truth never changes truth never changes okay never changes you cannot be slack even if you are the man after god's own heart at that time when kings go to war go to war simple that's your route go to war if you don't go to war you may not die in the war you will die another way okay so 
God has put all these things over there and he's telling about it. Because these letters are probably for a believer who's on the trajectory of growth. These seven letters are probably the most important seven letters in the Bible. Because this is the final words of Jesus when he's inspecting the church. Every word to every church matter because it's written to all churches of all times, meaning all believers of all ages. Take it very, very seriously because spiritual life is not static. Like physical life is not static. You know two things about spiritual life. Physical life, either you are growing or you are shrinking. As you grow older, you stoop, you become smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Get shrink. You go up, then you slowly start going down. You know you are aging. But that doesn't matter. Internal matters. Even though the outward man is perishing, inward man. What is the inward man? What is the inward man? That is where you have to care. Like I said, no. Jesus came to the tree. He looked for fruit. He only found leaves. He cursed that tree. When Jesus comes, he's looking for the fruit. So the simple question is, what is the fruit? Am I increasing in that fruit? Go there, read Galatians chapter 5, look at the fruit and says, Am I increasing in this? These are simple things. So we have to personally take stock of our spiritual condition constantly. Simply put, it's a matter of life and death. Life and death. Literally, if you have, like me, grown up on old-time Western movies, black and white, all the western world. There was two things that cowboy, that man, always was very careful about. One was his gun, the other was his horse. Because his law was strapped to his belt. Gun cannot malfunction. So one of the things he always did was he cleaned it, got it ready and he saw that he had enough bullets in his belt. Gun. Second thing, he knows that if his horse is not taken care of, he can die in the desert. Two things he very, very carefully took care of. We need to realize our spirit is what actually really, really matters. And our soul. Not our body so much. We are so gung-ho about our body, which is connected to this material world, and we forget soul. And even if you are concerned with the soul, it is only concerned with the material world. Because education is now connected with the material world and not with the spiritual world. So we have to be very, even you listening, you are not able to listen because you are all over the place because you haven't learned that one discipline you are always told. Learn to focus. Learn to focus. Okay? Little thing. One little thing. Focus. Every time I tell you the same thing. Focus. So where is the issue in Sardis? The issue is with the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that gives life. In First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19, and we'll close there. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Something told, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Okay? How do we quench the Holy Spirit is then the question. 
one by not doing the things which you are supposed to do and doing the things which you are not supposed to do we are not going to an exhaustive list we'll just look at three or four things mentioned there three things mentioned there verse 16 uh, 15 onwards four things and we will stop first thing mentioned is see that no one renders evil for evil that's the old man and the old man sanctions you did evil i will do it i had a letter recently somebody wrote from somewhere said i refuse to forgive those who have hurt me why should i for god can forgive but why should i forgive i want to render evil by unforgiving you did this to me by not forgiving i am rendering evil by evil evil for evil or in any context but always pursue what is good both for yourself and for all so the first thing is that don't render evil for evil on the other hand for yourself and for others always pursue good it's a very practical very practical pursue what is good for you that is good you are not a burden anymore okay you are not a burden anymore and for others now you are a blessing first you are only a burden now you are no longer a burden but you are not a blessing yet because you are not you are perceiving good for yourself thank you lord you know like we tell all the children jesus okay this one at least studies but that one doesn't study then it is a headache this one at least that is good for herself or himself but that is not enough also for all so first you have second rejoice always rejoice always because joy is something of the kingdom something of the holy spirit <laughs> rejoice always and the fact of the matter is that you can you can choose to rejoice always i am not saying you need to be happy always but you can choose to rejoice always how do i not quench the holy spirit by choosing to rejoice why is paul able to say in the philippi writing in the prison the lord is near because he is rejoicing rejoicing i choose to rejoice and one of the way you can choose to rejoice be choosing to sing rejoice always second thing third thing pray without ceasing pray without ceasing fourth thing in everything give thanks not some things that the man in the world also does the man in the spirit is a different person he knows all things will work ultimately for his good so when even in the worst case scenario he is able to give thanks for this is the will of god in christ jesus for you so actually if you put the whole format together don't do evil for evil do good to yourself good to for others and then rejoice always pray without ceasing in everything give thanks and this is the will of god for you you say what happens you know you will not quench the holy spirit but the problem is the holy spirit has been quenched that's why they have a reputation they are alive but they are dead they are dead and the, the reputation of the city of sardis committee city council is irrelevant what committee says about the church oh, this is the best church and the cm calls you gives you it's irrelevant because the person who really matters is saying you are dead you are dead you are not alive you are dead so like i said if you look at all these churches this is where and like i said the best picture you have is the picture of king saul and king david two pictures analogies put over there both began well both began well but one slowly died 
a point in his life came when the spirit has left. Now he's alive, but he's actually dead. Actually dead. And then there is David. You will realize he is never actually dead. Because he understands what is important, what is life. So even when he goes to the depths of how much a man can go, his cry in the Psalm 51 is, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Understands the clue. He says this is the key. He understands the key. Because the proof of life is the Spirit. It's the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And the thing is that all the instructions in the new covenant is addressed to a person called the Holy Spirit. He is a person. And that's where we have to guard. So we just looked at one verse today. Okay, just one verse today. That is, we didn't even realize we looked only at one verse. Right? 3-1. Let's just this thing. Okay. I know your works. You have a name that you are alive, but you are and it's a very scary, very, very scary, okay? Because that's the last thing you want to hear, right? God saying it, okay? It can be a person. It can be a church. It can be a marriage. It can be a home. It can be a workplace. Anything it can have a reputation. But actually, it is dead. And God will tell us in his scripture. It's not an indictment. Okay, It's basically saying how you can come back to life. You can even with the church in Ephesus, he tells them how you can come back. Go back and do the things that as you did in the beginning. So we'll have Peter and we will pray. Father, this morning we come to you, Lord. 
You are the one who promised that he gives the spirit without measure. You are willing. Even to the ones who came and asked you, Lord, if you are willing. You said, I am willing. You are the one who calls out and says, all who are thirsty, come and drink of me. The final cry in the book of Revelation is the spirit and the bride said, come and drink. Drink of the spirit for he is life. This morning we come to you, Lord. Only you know what we really are. Only you know the reputation we have is true or false. Nothing is hidden before your eyes. Everything is open. Everything is naked. You who holds the seven stars in your hand, walks among the seven lampstands. You are the one who is speaking. And you are still speaking to everyone. I pray we will have hearing ears and seeing eyes. Saul saw himself and cried out, wretched man, who can save me? Warnings sent, but warnings unheeded. This morning, Father, though we have so many troubles in this world, so many trials, so many testing, so much opposition, but that is not the real issue. Real issue is spiritual. The trials is just a test of what we are really spiritual. Whether we are quitters or whether we are fighters. Whether we are perceiving that is temporal or whether we are perceiving that is eternal. morning, Father, I pray. Touch us, Lord. Touch everyone out there listening. There's an eternal, imperishable crown promised. He who endures, the Bible says, will receive the crown of life. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. That is the crown of life. For your spirit is life. Touch, Lord. Open our eyes. Our heaven and earth, everything is passing away. So are its desires. But your word says, He who does the will of God will be there forever and ever. bring the body of Christ. Yes, in the temple there are needs. We need healing. There are many, Lord, who are not well in the body of Christ. Oh, Lord, touch. 
touch Lord touch touch Lord touch you fill Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power and you went around healing everyone was afflicted by the devil because most diseases have a spiritual root most problems if not all have a spiritual root and I speak healing into everyone's body, Lord. Peace into everyone's heart. For many are crying, how long, how long, how long? Even in heaven there was this cry, how long? And the Lord said, a little more while. Because there's something that is happening on earth which is not complete. And for everyone who's been crying out, how long? There's something in your life and the lives around you which is yet not complete. But through the process, I speak peace. Once again, Father, I thank you for today. A new day. A new working week. Bleed the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus over the body of Christ. Especially in this country. As the demonic days begin, we know in whom we have believed. We know who is greater. The one in us and not the one in the world. We know the authority and the power given to us by God, by Christ, who has all authority on heaven and on earth. And in his name, we rebuke the powers of darkness. We bind every dark entity that has been released against the body of Christ. We condemn every tongue that rises against your people. In curses, in occult, in sorcery, in witchcraft, in rituals, we condemn their words in the name of Jesus. And every demon that has been sent to attack, to kill, to steal, to destroy, we send it right back to the people who sent it. For we shall stand and see the deliverance of the Lord. That's your word. And we stand on your word. And what we can do, we will do. We will thank you. We will praise you. We will worship you, Lord. And teach us to pray without ceasing. I pray we will never lose our song, our joy. It did not be just a cliche. The world did not give it. The world cannot take it. Let it not be a reputation. Let it be true, Lord. And through it all, we are rejoicing, grateful, praying, giving community. Thereby we do not quench your spirit. But we are fervent in the spirit. We just thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. Every opportunity we get to come together, we will once again bless your holy name. We will bless your holy name, bless your holy name. And we will declare, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.